Today on the Matt Wall Show, schools across the country are shutting down again. Many of them still have never opened in the first place. It's clear that the people running the education system, to include the teachers' unions, especially, in fact, don't really care that much about education. So where does that leave us? Also, five headlines, including a bombshell study, which seems to vindicate the anti-maskers. We were told they're anti-science, maybe not so much. Plus, Japan starts using robots to enforce social distancing and our daily cancellation and much more all on the way. But first, uh, a word from one of our very good sponsors, MyPillow. You know, uh, it's th- there's nothing more important than a, than getting a good good night's sleep. It's not it doesn't just help your sanity, but it also you for your for your health. You need to in order to be a healthy person, you need to be able to sleep at night. I know for me, you know, um, I I always felt like uh, I was sort of an insomniac, had a lot of trouble sleeping. What I realized is that I just have very specific sleep needs. I need certain things in order to sleep well. If I have those needs met. Uh, so I'm kind of like a diva when it comes to sleeping. If I have the needs met, then I can sleep. I sleep like a baby. Um, and in fact, I'll sleep through the baby crying, which my wife is not a big fan of. But my pillow, I can blame my pillow for that because ever since I started using my pillow, uh, I sleep great. Mike Lindell is the inventor of my pillow, and his stuff is just great. Everything about it, their, their pillows won't go flat. The pillows are always, you know, most pillows you get after a while of using them. Uh, they're all flat and you kind of flimsy. You need to buy new ones. That doesn't happen with my pillow. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want, and they maintain their shape. And best of all, you know they're made in the USA. So that's jobs in the USA. That's products being made in the USA. If you don't have a my pillow or know someone who doesn't, who doesn't, now's the time because for a limited time, Mike is offering his premium my pillows. Uh, yes, the ones that started it all for his lowest price ever. You can get a queen size premium my pillow regularly sixty nine ninety eight for only twenty nine ninety eight. That's forty dollars in savings, and kings are only five dollars more. So this is this is you know, you're not gonna get a deal like this very often, folks. Now is the time to buy. Not only are you only getting are you getting the lowest price ever, but they are the best Christmas gift ever also. So we got Christmas around the corner, and um, you don't want to break the bank on Christmas. So now is the time to get this gift for someone that you uh, you care about. This is a this is a gift that anyone will love. Go to mypillow.com. Click on the radio listener square. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and um, MyPillow towel sets. Or you could call 800-651-1148 and use promo code DAILYWIRE. Well, a parent of a child in the Seattle public school system tweeted that her daughter's language arts class was canceled on Monday because the teacher was, quote, living in the forest and unable to find an adequate internet connection to conduct the lesson remotely. Now, as, 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 funny, as funny as the living in the forest excuse to get out of work may seem, and as much as I lament not using the same excuse when I was working remotely for the Daily Wire before coming to Nashville, this speaks to a reality that's actually not very funny at all. That is, that the matter of educating children has become an afterthought, a sideshow, something that a teacher can do while living in the forest. Unless the internet goes out, in which case, well, I guess the kids don't need to hear about language arts that day. Schools across the country, of course, shut down en masse last year in response to the coronavirus. This in spite of the fact that we knew very early on, in fact, it was one of the first data points we all knew reliably, that children are not likely carriers, contractors, or spreaders of the disease. Um, There was never any solid data-driven reason to shut down the schools. There especially isn't one now as we have months of evidence showing that schools are among the least dangerous places, the least infectious places. There's also plenty of evidence that 
the alternative to open schools, uh, remote learning, is a disaster. The other, the other alternative, homeschooling, is preferable to both, but the fact is that millions upon millions of children have been stuck with remote learning for months now. And there's little reason to think that they're benefiting at all from it. And now, just as schools had started to open up again for in-person learning, many are reverting back to the charade of online learning instead. Just yesterday, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio announced that um, New York schools would be shutting down once again. They joined schools in Pittsburgh, Michigan, many other places in closing down again after sort of reopening. Here's de Blasio making the announcement and pay attention to the reason that he gives. Listen to this. Unfortunately, as of today on our seven day rolling average for coronavirus positivity, New York City has hit exactly 3.0%. And as a result, we do need to close our schools for the coming days. Uh, no one is happy about this decision. We all, in fact, are feeling very sad about this decision because so much good work has been put into keeping the schools opened and opening them up to begin with. Let's start there. Opening the schools when almost no other major school system in America opened, making them so safe. But we set a very clear standard and we need to stick to that standard. And I want to emphasize to parents, to educators, to staff, to kids, that we intend to come back and come back as quickly as possible. We are working right now with the state of New York, and that was a lot of what we talked about this morning. I had a number of conversations with the governor, and our teams have been talking throughout the morning on exactly what it would take to come back and bring our schools back quickly. And it will be a higher standard. I want that to be clear. We have a stringent health and safety standard right now. We're going to have to raise that up even higher. 3% positivity. In the whole city, this means that the schools have to shut down? Why? Why should the schools shut down? Because the magical 3.0% threshold has been crossed. Well, because like 10 p.m. curfews and 10-person limits at Thanksgiving and six feet between people, the number was chosen arbitrarily. And after being chosen arbitrarily, it became gospel, as if there was ever something solid behind it. In this case specifically, Behind the 3% number is a deal that was struck with the teachers' union. A deal, it would seem, was chosen um, because New York was certain to hit it. It's like they wanted to choose a threshold that they would hit so that the schools could be shut down again. We've learned during the pandemic what we already knew, that teachers' unions hate nothing so much as educating children. They are enemies of education, enemies of children, and their goal is to make things as hard as possible on, on, uh, on children especially. This is why teachers' unions should be forcibly abolished and outlawed, in my view, but that's a discussion for another time. Now, you may wonder, what's the positivity rate in New York for schools? I mean, who cares about positivity in the whole city? What about schools? Are kids getting sick left and right in school? Is that why they shut it down? Well, no, a New York Times article has the school positivity rate at, get this, 0.17%. Not 1.7, 0.17. The highest estimate I've read is 0.23%. So take whichever you like, split the difference, whatever it is. The point is, it's very, very low. And if a fraction of a percent of positivity for COVID can shut down the schools, then why is any school anywhere ever open during flu season? Flu is, we all know this now, more dangerous for children. And uh, I'm willing to bet that plenty of schools match or exceed the 0.23% uh, during flu season for, for, for uh, 
the infection rate. So, so this is, this is just nonsense, but don't expect any decision maker in charge to make any sense of the nonsense. Governor Cuomo was pressed on school closures during a press conference. And, um, here's what he had to say about it. He didn't really want to talk about it, but this is what we got out of him. What are you talking about? How, what are you talking about? You're now going to override. We did it already. That's the law, an orange zone and a red zone. Follow the facts. I'm still confused. Well, then you're confused. I'm confused. And then I I'll tell you what, Jimmy. Still, parents are still confused as well. The schools oh, in They're not confused. Tomorrow. You're confused. No, I think but parents read the are law, confused as well. Read the law and you won't be confused. He's an absolute clown. Worst of all, he's an obnoxious clown, which I suppose all clowns are by definition. There is no science behind this. There's no good reason to do it. And yet it's being done. That is the theme of the last many months. No reason to do it, but we're going to do it anyway. So taking a step back and widening the lens, uh, what we see is that American society, in effect, has given up on educating children. It got scared of a virus and gave up on education. It is one of the most shameful and cowardly things I have ever seen. Now, as I've argued before, if this pushes families towards homeschooling, that will ultimately be a net positive for the kids and for society in general. But most kids are not being homeschooled. And uh, in fairness, not all families can homeschool. There are many families who think they can't, but actually can if they prioritize around it. But that doesn't mean that every family can. So for millions of children, they in effect have not had an education since like last April. There are millions of kids who right now are not in school and haven't been in school since the middle of the spring and sitting there looking at a computer for a few hours a day, that doesn't count as being in school. And this deprivation, the name of keeping, you know, ourselves safe. That's the thing. This is, this is keeping ourselves safe, not our children who aren't at much risk for, from coronavirus. This is about keeping us safe. We've shut down education and stopped educating kids because we're scared that we will get sick. It is, as I said, an act of collective cowardice, possibly unmatched in American history. And I don't even think that's hyperbole. Consider the psychological impact this must be having on children. I mean, not just the psychological impact of not receiving a real education, but also of seeing as a child that education is not a serious priority of those tasked with providing it to you. See, I can remember when I was in school, I always felt like it was extremely important to all the adults around me that I go to school and learn. I always, it always seemed like that to me. No matter what, you know, they would send us to school. And if they did shut us down for snow or for some other reason, uh, we had to make up that time later. I always felt like the school treated school as an utterly crucial thing. I wasn't happy about this, I should add. At the time as a kid, um, I would have much preferred having teachers who moved to the forest and canceled class. I would have loved that. I would have loved remote learning too. This is how, this is how I know remote, remote learning is a bad idea. It's because when I was a kid, I would have loved it. But I would have loved it for all the wrong reasons. So a lot of kids today, um, they may not be right now upset that the schools don't care about school. But this is enormously harmful in the long run. And we as the adults are supposed to be the ones with the foresight to see that. Now, I say all this, but I don't want to give the impression that the school system was doing, you know, a good job of educating children before all of this. It wasn't. And frankly, a great many of the kids 
just went from not learning in person to not learning remotely. And in those cases, not much changed really. But what we're seeing now are these school systems not even trying to teach the kids. They're not even pretending that education is a priority. Education has been officially deemed across the nation non-essential. And the people who deemed it such always felt that way about it. Now they're letting the mask slip a little bit. At least that mask. The other mask, the cloth, the cloth mask, is still firmly affixed to, to their faces. So let's keep this in mind going forward. Uh, because eventually the schools will be open again someday. But we now know for certain how the people who run the schools really feel about it. And how much they really care about education. Which is not at all. And we should never forget that. Let's get to uh, our five headlines. Okay, let me read this to you from the New York Times. It says, researchers in Denmark reported on Wednesday that surgical masks did not protect the wearers against infection with the coronavirus in a large randomized clinical trial. The study, published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, did not contradict growing evidence that masks can prevent transmission of the virus from wearer to others. But the conclusion is at odds with the view that masks also protect the wearers, a position endorsed just last week by the CDC. Uh, critics were quick to note the study's limitations, among them the, that the findings depended heavily on participants reporting their own test results and behavior at a time when both mask wearing and infection were rare in Denmark. Um, then it goes on and says, here's how the, the study was conducted. From early April to early June, researchers at the University of Copenhagen recruited about 6,000 participants who had been tested beforehand to be sure that they were not infected with the coronavirus. Half were given surgical masks and told to wear them when leaving their homes. The others were told not to wear masks in public. At that time, 2% of the Danish population was infected, a, a rate lower than in many places in the U.S. and in Europe today. Um, social distancing and frequent hand washing were common, but masks were not. About 4,860 participants completed the study. The researchers had hoped that the masks would cut the infection rate by half among wearers. Instead, 42 people in the mask group, or 1.8%, got infected, compared with 53 in the unmasked group, or 2.1%. The difference was not statistically significant. Dr. Henin uh, Bungard, lead author of the study, said, Our study gives an indication of how much you gain from wearing a mask. He concludes, not a lot. So, I mean, this is science here. This is, this is probably, from, from as far as I'm aware, this is the most extensive study of its kind that's been done on mask usage as it relates specifically to the coronavirus. Um, so this is some of the best science we're going to find. Yeah, no study is perfect. And so you can, you can poke holes in it, so to speak. Um, but... This is, this is evidence in the column that wearing a mask isn't going to help you that much. Now you could say, well, you should still wear it from other people. But now you have to ask the question. So if, if let, let's say, if, if masks aren't doing anything for you, and the thing is, uh, as much as we say, oh, you know, you're wearing the mask for others, that's not really why people are wearing it, though. I don't, I don't think that's really, psychologically, I don't think that's why people are wearing it. I think people are wearing it because it makes them feel safe. Yeah, they might also be concerned about others, but they're, the, the real reason people are wearing it is because it makes them feel safe. Especially when you see someone wearing a mask, walking down the street, or in their car, 
by themselves, who are they, who are they trying to protect? No, they're doing it because it makes them feel safe. And there's good evidence now that that is a false sense of security, which is, which is, um, which is bad because it's, 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 it's false, but also it's, it's dangerous. I would think you don't want to give people a false sense of security. You want them to have a, um, you know, you want them to have a reasonable idea, an accurate idea of how much risk there really is for them. Um, but now you have to ask, okay, so if the mask, if, let's say the mask doesn't protect you at all or hardly at all, not a lot, as the author of the study says. So then let's say mask's not going to protect you. Uh, and let's say you're a, you know, a, a, a younger, healthy person. You're not symptomatic. You don't have the coronavirus, as far as you know. Uh, you have no symptoms at all. And you're going out in public. And, okay, you're social distancing. And if you have to cough, you cough into your sleeve. I mean, like, since why can't people do that anymore? Why is that enough? If, if, why do you need the mask if you're following those protocols? Social distancing, if you have to cough, you cough into your sleeve. You're not symptomatic. What's the point of the mask then in that case? What purpose is it really serving? That's the question. Um, okay, now for a little bit of sanity. Here's... Governor Nome of South Dakota, as so many other governors are going into lockdown, shutting down schools, mask mandates, so on and so forth. Here she is giving her philosophy um, of how she's handling it going forward and how she has handled it up to now. This is what she has to say. I don't want to approach a policy or a mandate just looking to make people feel good. I want to do good and actually put forward provisions that make a difference for families. And these local communities have some flexibility today that Sioux Falls can make a different decision than Rapid City. Rapid City can make a different decision than Lemon, South Dakota. Watertown can make a different decision than Pierre. And, and that's what some of these local leaders are doing in, in reacting to the people in the community based on what they want. She says, I don't want a policy just to make people feel good. Sounds good to me. That's a, that's, that's exactly the right attitude. And then she, and then she clarifies that she's not stopping local towns from having their own ordinances. If a, a local town city wants to have its own uh, policy, they can do that. She's not going to impose something on everyone. That to me seems like the reasonable and correct approach here. Uh, so governor Noam continues to acquit herself well during this, uh, during this crisis. Number three, in case you were wondering if the media would ever, you know, be able to embarrass itself any more than it already has, can it be more embarrassing than it's already been? Well, here's your answer. This is a headline in the Daily Mail. Here's the headline. This is real. It says, Ivanka Trump blamed a fart on her classmates when she was a bratty teenager and creepy Donald commented on her friend's weight, according to a former best friend. So this is Lysandra Ostrom who was uh, friends with Ivanka Trump back in their youth. She says that Ivanka was nice and charming, you know, a nice girl. Ivanka never did anything to her, really, except a fart, perhaps. And yet Ostrom has decided to stab her old friend in the back in broad daylight. And she wrote this expose, this blog post or whatever it is, listing all of the terrible things that Ivanka did. The only problem is they're all pretty much along the lines of farting in class. So here's more from the article. It says, um, goes on for a while, and then it says, Ivanka also allegedly said, since when can a teacher afford a BMW? And, quote, 
Why is a police officer living in a house like that while the pair were watching movies, claiming they would not be able to afford them in real life? Lysandra says that Ivanka also coaxed other girls into bad behavior, including flashing their breasts at the, quote, hot dog man from the windows of their school, then talked her way out of trouble when they were caught. Uh, And then she says, one of the earliest memories I have of Ivanka from before we were friends is when she blamed a fart on a classmate. Then there's there's other stuff here, too, that also sounds basically just made up. Um, Lysandra also said that Ivanka told her that she, quote, hated a necklace she wore with her name in Arabic and once said to her, how does your Jewish boyfriend feel when you're having sex and that necklace hits him in the face? How can you wear that thing? It just screams terrorist. That sounds made up to me. But later on in the article, she acknowledges that Ivanka is, uh, was gener- is, has been generous to her. They've maintained a cordial relationship until now. And this is how she repays the generosity. Similar to uh, Melania Trump's friend who was secretly recording her for you know, months on end and then released the recordings to the, uh, to the media. But it, it, once again, we have this effect. So we've seen now close confidants of Melania Trump, Donald Trump, uh, and, and now Ivanka Trump come forward like spilling the beans and none of them have anything. It's actually shocking how clean the Trumps actually are, apparently. I would have assumed, just based on the fact, I, I, I would assume about pretty much any politician, that if their closest confidants and friends, old friends, come forward and, and, and tell everything they've ever known about the person, you know, spilling all of the beans, I would assume that there would be some juicy tidbits in there about pretty much any politician or almost any person. Forget about politician. But um, that's not been the case with the Trumps. They've been stabbed in the back by people closest to them, including including secret recordings. There isn't one here, as far as we know. Maybe eventually there will be a, a secret recording that comes out of the of the uh, of the fart. Who knows? But with with uh, Melania and and Donald Trump, secret recordings, nothing much on them. Pretty surprising. But listen, uh, you might want to consider that. If there is someone that you've been friends with since childhood and they've always been generous to you and they were nice and charming and you've had a cordial relationship and then you're going to the media to try to destroy them, even if all you have is a a fart in fourth grade or whatever, you might want to consider that you're the bad guy. Just a thought. Number four, BBC has a report here about how working from home can make you racist. And this really shouldn't be a revelation because everything makes you racist, of course. If there's a thing in existence that hasn't yet been accused of being racist or causing racism, it's only because they haven't gotten around to it yet. They're just sort of methodically going through and covering every single thing in existence. So it'll take them time to hit everything. So eventually we'll get reports like why Europa is the most racist moon of Jupiter. And I don't know, something like why eating omelets turns you into a white supremacist. We'll get to all of that. But for now, there's this. Uh, It says, widespread working from home could lead to an increase in racism and prejudice, a new report warns. Workplace friendships are key to breaking down misconceptions, according to the uh, England and Wales study from the Wolf Institute. Institute founder Ed Kessler said, as more people work from home, they risk going back into isolated silos. He called on ministers to focus on offices and workplaces as a vital area for improving community relations. Um... 
Let's see. It says the study suggests that of those who work in shared offices, three quarters, 76%, regardless of ethnicity, were in a setting that is ethnically diverse. However, it suggests that unemployed people are 37% more likely to only have friends from their own ethnic group. And it warns that without alternative settings to offices being set up, opportunities for social mixing between different religious and ethnic groups will be greatly reduced. Well, there's an obvious solution here. Um, affirmative action for the home. Every home should be required to have at least one non-white person in it. Of course, it's also racist. Now you think, okay, if that's the requirement, then there's an obvious way to make that happen. But no, we've also learned it's racist for a white person to adopt a non-white person. We learned that about Amy Coney Barrett. Of course, uh, it, it, it became racist with her when because of her. So we're gonna have to figure out some other way around this. Maybe white families could pay a non-white person to stay in their home, kind of like renting a room out like Airbnb except the homeowner is now paying for the privilege of someone staying in their house just to keep the racism in check. This could be a whole industry I've just come up with here. This could work. Who's that woman who uh, white, white people pay her to come to dinner so that she can scream at them and call them racist? Who's that woman that does that? This, this is, and that's, you know, that, that, that's working out well for her, very profitable. So maybe this could be a, another business she starts. But really, this just shows you, this, this of course shows you uh, how the left feels about family. There's a reason that BLM wants to destroy the nuclear family by its own emission, because they're, they are suspicious of families. They see people behind closed doors with their own family groups. The left feels uncomfortable with that because they have no control over it. And they don't want people in their own families coming up with their own ideas, forming their own value systems. It's very, very suspicious of that. Um, all right, number five, finally, in, in more creepy Japanese robot news, yesterday we had the uh, severed robotic hand that Japanese dudes are walking around holding because it feels like a girlfriend. We had that yesterday. Uh, it feels like a girlfriend if you happen to be dating the Terminator. Now we have Robovi. And you can see him here. He's a, a robot who goes around, and I guess stores, some stores in Japan have this, this robot. And he goes around telling you to socially distance and wear your masks. He's just reminding you. And if you don't comply, it will immediately incinerate you. Actually, no, it just whines. It whines at you if you don't comply. I continue to be disappointed by the robot technology um, in existence right now. Like, we're in the middle of, of this actual real-life dystopia with governments shutting down society and now they're using robots but the robots don't shoot lasers at you or anything they just annoy the hell out of you that's what we get from from robots but hey it's a step in the right direction finally uh we're gonna get to our daily cancellation in just a second but before we do you know as we've been talking about the legacy media we're all sort of disgusted and and, and sick of the legacy media especially not just during the election but through trump's through, through four years of Trump, we've, we've seen uh, what they do and how little we can trust them. And that's why you got to start looking for alternatives to the legacy media. You know, it's, it's, we can complain about the mainstream media all day long, but if we keep going to them for news and information, our complaints mean nothing. So I would say consider trading in your cable and your new subscriptions with The Daily Wire. We have big plans for the next four years and it starts today. Candace Owens, 
joining the Daily Wire. We announced that recently. Uh, very excited about that. She'll be launching a brand new show with us early next year. We're also launching a whole bunch of other stuff, entertainment channel, a new investigative journalism team, building partnerships with like-minded content creators like PragerU, uh, whose entire show library will be available on the site by the end of the year. And we're going after the legacy media. And we're going to do it by building a huge membership base of supporters like you. But of course, we need your help for that. Right now, just to show you we're serious, we're, we're giving 25% off all memberships with code ELECTION over at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Tomorrow's the last day that you can get this deal. So you got to sign up now. Don't, uh, don't waste your time. Members get our articles ad-free, access to all of our live broadcasts, the full three hours of the Ben Shapiro Show, exclusive Reader's Pass content on the website. A lot of great stuff there you'll miss out on if you're not a member. And if you're considering an all-access membership, you can also join us for all-access live every night, live stream discussions with, uh, with our hosts and our amazing online community. You also get not one, but two of the leftist tears tumblers with your membership, as well as early and sometimes exclusive access to new Daily Wire products. Bunch of stuff. So remember, that's 25% off all memberships with code ELECTION over at dailywire.com slash subscribe. You only have one more day to take advantage of this. Replace the legacy media with the Daily Wire. You won't regret it. Now time for our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we need to have a very important conversation about hallway etiquette. Now that I'm working here in the office, I expect that this is an issue that will arise frequently, as it does in any workplace. So I'm issuing a preemptive cancellation of everyone who violates the rules of hallway etiquette. Uh, everyone here at the Daily Wire understands that if they are canceled by me or violate one of my rules, they must immediately resign. This, I'm pretty sure, is written in the employee handbook. At least it's written in mine because I added it in crayon. Now, as everyone knows, passing by another human being in a hallway is a daunting challenge. The problem is that as you both approach each other, you must time your greeting for exactly the right moment or else immense awkwardness ensues. If you're still 20 paces apart and you say hello at that point, then you have to walk the remaining steps having already issued your greeting. You can't very well greet each other and then have 15 seconds of a silence as you complete your walk past one another. It would be akin to you know, making brief small talk on an elevator and then saying bye to the person when you both still have 10 floors left to climb. So you say, all right, well, good talking to you. See you later. Then you're both just standing there for another 30 seconds. We're talking nuclear levels of awkwardness. What this means that is that if you fire your greeting round too early in the walk past somebody in the hallway, when you're both still, say, 15 seconds apart, you must then have precisely 15 seconds of small talk to fill the gap. But if the small talk goes on too long, or if one of you says something that requires a longer answer, now you'll end up stopping and having a stop and chat, which is exactly what you both want to avoid. That's what's at stake here. If you get it wrong, you may be stuck having, God forbid, a full-on conversation. Nobody wants that. The key then is to wait to acknowledge the other person until you are exactly four paces apart. In order to achieve this, you must make sure to avoid eye contact until precisely the moment when you hit the four-pace threshold. You can accomplish this by looking down at your phone, looking up at the ceiling, staring straight ahead, noticing a smudge on your shoe. I have a tendency of noticing lint on my sleeve. Whenever I'm in a hallway with someone, I'll brush at the lint until we hit four paces. And then I look up and I say, oh, hey, how are you? To which they can respond, great, how are you? And I can say, great, great. Then I go back to the lint for about half a beat to sell the ruse. Boom, four paces have been completed. And I have succeeded in passing by the person without having a meaningful or extended interaction, which again is the whole objective. Now, on occasion, you may run into someone who, who throws this plan for a loop because 
When you say, hey, how are you? They actually have the audacity to answer the question honestly, actually telling you how they are as if you wanted to know, thereby sucking you into a vortex of conversation that it may take minutes to extricate yourself from. Not much you can do about socio, you know, psychopaths like this except avoid them at all costs. One additional tip. If you really want to avoid talking to people in hallways or making eye contact, one thing you could try doing is walking backwards through the hallway. This will have the added benefit of not only avoiding eye contact and conversation in hallways, but probably in general too, because your coworkers will think you're a weird freak. Of course, this can backfire if the other person is also walking backwards. So you might try somersaulting through the hallways. This will mean the other person has to jump over you, but again, it avoids conversation with coworkers, especially after you get fired. One other wrinkle to explore here briefly. What happens when you're out, say, at the grocery store and you pass by an acquaintance in like the condiment aisle? Well, you follow the four pace rules as discussed, simple enough. But many of us have been in the crisis situation where you pass by the same person again in the pasta aisle. You can't use the, hey, how are you line because it's already been asked and answered. Now you have to make a brief joke about the fact that you already saw them. Maybe something like, long time no see, <laughs> or something similar. If you pass by them a third time, you could probably get away with a, hey, stop stalking me. But there cannot be a fourth time. Under no circumstance can you allow yourself to pass the person a fourth time. If you end up in the same aisle as them a fourth time, you have no choice but to drop your groceries, run in the other direction, change your name, move to Mexico. These are the rules of passing people in hallways or aisles. It's very complicated, but they must be strictly observed. All who fail in such observances are, of course, canceled. That's going to do it for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany describes coronavirus rules as Orwellian. A Danish study shows that masks don't protect wearers from the virus, duh, and a major left-wing YouTube channel asks just what white people happen to be superior at. Check it out at The Michael Knowles Show. <laughs>